Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at famously one of the worst films ever made, and one that's highly un-Egyptian as well, Troll 2. With me for this episode, I've got a guest, uh, Mr. Jake Fleming, uh, so do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Hello, excited to be here. Um, I'm Jake. I'm not really a massive film buff, but I like films. I haven't done any film podcasts in the past, but I did a Formula One podcast. That's kind of my oeuvre of knowledge. So I don't really know what I'm bringing to this, but I'm looking forward to talking about it. If I'm honest with you, uh, a large part of this is I wanted your honest reaction to the film. So You will definitely get that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Yes, quite a reaction. Um, in terms of the format, it's, it's going, obviously going to be a little bit different. We'll start with a look at some of like, the, the sort of like uh, facts on the film. And then we're just going to sort of go over it and just sort of discuss it, really. That, that's about it. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Let's do it. But before then, it is time for my dramatic intro. Right. You and your family are going on holiday to a farm in the country. However, little do you realise that the inhabitants of the nearby village have sinister motivations. You and your family are not welcome here. Yet for some reason, they keep feeding you strange green food. They want to turn you into a troll, too. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing quite a few steps in that one, to be honest. It's, it's hard to summarise what happens in that movie, even just the start of it, because so much of it makes no sense. No. I'm impressed you 
came up with a dramatic reading of some kind. And and I did that minutes after yeah, watching the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're just going to go over a few facts first. And okay. If I'm honest, I just want to know your honest opinions on these because I, honestly, watching this film, it was so hard not to like call these out as they were happening. I'm really excited because what's interesting to me is I don't understand how something like this gets made. So I'm hoping the facts can shed some light on just what happened here. Well, one thing I will say, and it's a fact that kind of weirdly pleases me, for the same reason that it pleased me in Plan 9 from Outer Space by Edward, it pleased me in The Room by Tommy Wiseau. Of course. This film was meant to be good. Was, I love it. Yeah. Already a big fan. Anything that's done earnestly, I love. And yeah. I could tell, to be fair, I could tell that they were trying something here because it's not done terribly all the way through. But, yeah, I, it's yeah. terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> Interestingly, this film was originally supposed to be titled Goblins. Throughout its entire sort of production, it was called Goblins. But then the distributors, they thought that this film would not sort of survive on its own, which is why it could called Troll 2. Fun thing about this. Sorry, do you want to say something? No, I was just going to say, is is it got anything to do with Troll 1? Is Troll 1 even a thing? Are That's you get to that? actually what I was about to say. Okay, all right. There is a film called Troll 1. I believe right. it was from 1986, I want to say. This film has absolutely nothing to do with it. Okay, all right. It's not made from the same company. It's not got any of the same actors or story or anything. It's a completely separate So it's literally just got the name Troll yeah. 2. Other than that... It's a different movie. Yeah, they were trying Fantastic. to leech off of a film that had some success, but let's face it, who's heard of Troll 1? No, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard of that either. Okay, all right. Well, that does make sense. It, it, it was strange to me that it was called Troll 2, yeah. given that, as we've said, there is absolutely no trolls in it. Okay, so I kind of like this next fact, if I'm honest. So this film was made by a man named Claudio Fraguso, I want to say his name is, and okay. his wife. Uh, I wish I knew his wife's name. It makes me sound very bad. That's but safe, but I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the idea of this film came about when the director's wife, um, so basically, apparently, a lot of her friends all at once became vegetarians. Okay. And in her words, that pissed her off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and nothing more annoying, is there? No. But you can sort of see in the film how, like, the power of good is basically what, like, him eating a, a meat sandwich at one point. Yeah, I did think that at the time. I was thinking, because the message from the goblins, and I don't want to get too far into the story, no, but no, yeah. it's about not eating meat. And that's, like, their evil plot is to stop humans who eat meat. And it's strange to have that as, like, the, the nefarious part of... Yeah. The the villain's plot. It kind of reminds me, did you ever hear of, um, I think it's called like Santa Claus vs. Martians or anything? I have, yeah, I never watched I, it, but yeah. I've never seen it either, but I do know the point of that film was it was supposed to be an argument against like marijuana. Okay, <laughs> all right. Fair enough, there's arguments for and against, but you could argue, yeah, there's plenty of people out there who don't like that and want it to remain illegal. So yes. there's at least a moral lesson there that people can grasp onto. Yeah. Pretty sure, like vegetarianism is generally good. I don't think there's many people who um, have a really big problem with vegetarians. I mean, I think there's this whole thing, isn't there, of vegans always talking about veganism? Yeah, I don't really care, but some people do. But it's it's not like there was this anger towards them for being vegetarian. It was more that the goblins were like these meat eaters. They're so disgusting, and I, I I don't know. It's very strange. It's weird to make a whole movie about how much that annoys you. Yeah, that's the strange part. I think. Right, moving on. 
So the director, he and his wife, they they wrote this, and but the thing is, they're both Italian, and neither of them really knew English. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's a few things. There's a few parts to this. Right. The first is the actors. They even suggested that they ablib their lines because they weren't making sense in the script. Like yeah. literally sitting around in a group trying to figure out the script. Yes. Yeah. They couldn't, but the director insisted that they read it as it was written. Wow. So this is what happened to an extent with The Room as well, which you mentioned in the introduction. (laughs) It's that kind of power-hungry director thing where I know best, no one else is going to tell me what to do. And But they also don't acknowledge the fact that they aren't native speakers of the language. And therefore, yeah, now that you've said that they're Italian, so much of this makes (laughs) sense. It it explains an awful lot of what's going on in this movie. Mm, Yeah. Um, two other parts of this that can sort of explain why it didn't go down well. Yeah. Most of the actors for this film were actually, uh, they went in for sort of just bit parts. You know, like generally like background points and things like that. And then they were just going, they just they were just told, no, you've got a lead role. Okay, good. <laughs> so they yeah. probably weren't prepared for that. They, I mean, and I'm sure we'll get to it as well, but some of the acting is horrific yeah. in this movie. It is terrible. But right, let's let's add to this, shall we? Okay. So right, let's imagine you're you're going in for a a side part, an extra role. Yeah. You go in, you read a couple of lines, and you go, you know what? You've got the main part. <laughs> then they don't give you the full script. Right. They give it to you scene by scene. So what? So you don't know the ending? What are they worried about? The the actors did not have any context for what they were reading or acting. I, I don't understand. I don't understand the methodology. I don't understand the justification. What? Why? Is there a reason? Or was it just some sort of avant-garde directing approach? No reason has been given as far as I'm aware. Okay, all right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sort of, I suppose the last point I want to say sure. in this section. All right. Many of the actors did not know the film was released after it had been finished. They only saw the film many, many years later. Like often when it was released on DVD. Bear in mind, this was made in 1990. So I have a question about that. Do we know the extent of the release? Was this seen in theatres? For what I understand, and I had to search quite hard to find this. Yeah. It was released in theatres. Gosh. But I could be wrong. Okay. I I can't imagine the excitement of coming out of the movie theatre having seen that. You would feel like you just stumbled upon some of the most weird outsider art. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm glad that... It, I hope you're right. I'm glad it got a theatre release, because that's great. So, you know the the main sort of child actor in this? I'm trying to remember his name. Joshua. Joshua. Yep. He first saw this film on VHS when his family bought it for him. Right. Um, he was so excited, they ran over, he put the VHS into the tape. Bear in mind, this is from an interview from him. This is right. what he said. Okay. And then he hated it. He hated everything about it. And it was only years later he began to appreciate, oh, I'm actually being part of history. Yeah. But for years he hated this film. Do you know how old he was when he, he viewed it? Because he's about probably, what, seven or eight in the film, do you think? It was it was about a year after the release. So about a year after. Yeah. I mean, for a kid to realise how bad it is, <laughs> is is a pretty telling thing. It would mess up your head, I think, being that young and seeing yourself in something so objectively terrible 
because you wouldn't know what the impact of that is going to be. Yeah. Um, in the same interview, he actually talked about how he was um, a child actor, obviously. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he was seeing this film as his big break. Oh, bless him. That's <laughs> no. a shame. Because he's not terrible. He's a child actor. You know, they're, none of them are brilliant, are they? He's fine, but... He's no worse. He wasn't directed <laughs> properly and stuff, so it's t- tough for that kid. Right, the final point I want to raise. For the VHS artwork, um, it had like a small boy stood at the bottom of a stair sack with a werewolf behind and the boy was holding a troll doll. Yeah. So were there any werewolves in this film? No, there were not. No. The boy on the artwork is not the kid from this film. No. (laughs) And also he's holding a troll doll. Which is not in it. Trolls are not in this film. Goblins are in this film. (laughs) So who did the artwork? Did they see the movie? I'm guessing absolutely not. I actually have no idea who did the artwork, actually. I bet they just were given the title and just said, make a poster. And yeah. they, they heard nothing else. They made that and they went, brilliant. Yeah. That'll yeah. do. Probably. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, this is great. Already I'm learning so many great things about this movie. Okay, so in this next part, we're just going to go over the film and sort of, you know, talk about it basically good. yeah let's do it so the film starts with um a granddad um uh, sort of josh joshua's granddad talking to him and sort of reading him a story and it's about a man named peter uh and he's being chased by goblins through the woods when he sort of like trips over and when he looks up there's a sort of a i suppose a beautiful woman sort of looking down at him well not looking down at him looking over him if you look at the shots but yeah yeah <laughs> true <laughs> Uh, and she basically charms him and then feeds him sort of like this weird green goo. Yes. And then he starts to sweat the goo and essentially what turns into a, a vegetable. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is all cut over the sort of opening credits. Yeah. And we see that the kid, Joshua, is talking to his grandpa or his grandpa is telling the story. At that point, the mother comes in. This is towards the end of the scene. And you realize the grandpa isn't really there. Which is obviously shocking. Yeah. Um, and then the mother delivers about 13 lines of exposition <laughs> in a row, which is quite good. But um, there's a great... It, it's it's a brilliant setup, isn't it? Because you've got the goblins and they look dreadful. You know, the, the set design is, is really all, all over the place. The grandpa is acting extremely hammy, but he seems to be loving it. I yeah. have to admit, and we said this already, the grandpa is... Probably one of the most enjoyable actors in it. I don't know if we'd yeah. say best. There's, there's um, I was saying during the um, the, the thing, but like, um, he uh, there's an interview of him where he just talks about how delighted he was <laughs> to be in such a bad film. Like, he, he'd always been a big fan of bad films, and he was yeah. just so happy to be in one that was considered potentially the worst film ever made. <laughs> I'm pleased for him, because if that's his dream, then he absolutely achieved it. There's something weirdly kind of sweet about it, I think. Yeah, it's and I can understand that. I would love to be in a bad movie. Same. Yeah. I mean, it would be so much fun. You'd do something that brings a lot of joy to people. Uh, and then Joshua as well. Already you can see the problems, I think, at this point in the movie, that his acting is <laughs> it's not bad, but it's just not being directed very well. All of the shots of him responding to his grandpa are very awkward and stilted. Yeah. And there's a lot of this in the movie where... It focuses on a character, and you can see almost the the director say action as they're about to deliver their line. Um, it's it's all very weirdly edited, yeah. And you can see it straight away in this part of the film. I 
Also, just love the fact that Peter in this this film is clearly supposed to look like, you know, like Peter Pan. Yeah. Something like that. Why have they... I mean, I guess maybe they're trying to make it look a bit like fairy tale-ish because he's reading a book, but... Yes, it's a bit odd, isn't it? I don't really understand the significance of why he looks that way. But also, we've got the, the young lady... Yeah. ...who, again, there's no kind of temptress. I suppose there is towards the end of the movie, like a temptress lady yeah, yeah. involved. But also, she's got these very fake freckles. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they did that. No. It didn't add anything. So you mentioned this. I didn't pick this up because at the time, I'm watching this for the first time and thinking, well, that could be how they're going to dress up these characters. But then that just doesn't happen again. There's just one character with some very fake freckles on. The thing is, if you did it that way, where like it was deliberately looking a bit fake, it could have weirdly worked. You know, like that's a... yeah. I said this on an episode recently, like a dreadful film, The Mummy Rebirth. Uh-huh. Okay. There were one or two scenes yeah. where they made the... They went for sort of like an artsy style when they were trying to do the bad animation, the bad CGI. And it kind of worked because it was artsy. Mm. But they didn't commit to that, so it didn't work. Yeah. Sort of the same here, I feel. I do agree. And I think that there's something to be said for a movie that's that's very awkwardly put together in that... It can kind of lend itself to a horror because you're not really sure. Something's uneasy about yeah. the whole thing. And I get that impression sometimes with this movie, but you can sort of tell it's because of incompetence rather than <laughs> something that they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, that said, you don't know where it's going. Because it's so weirdly put together, you don't have a clue what's going to happen next. And that is quite thrilling. Well, you say that, but the mum does explain it entirely. <laughs> it's true. I suppose there's that, but yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. So this opening, I liked the opening. I thought it gave it gave me real 80s vibes. Yeah. yeah. There was definitely, a, when you told me the film was sorted out in 1999. Yeah. 1990, I believe. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. That's a bit, well, that's a little bit more. Yeah, it's on that kind of acceptable. like middle. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely, and we're both fans of this show, already was getting uh, vibes of Garth Marenghi the whole time. Yeah. Just with the costumes the the synthesizer that was going absolutely mental in the background and the stilted acting everything felt very Garth Marenghi yeah already I, I have a feeling Garth Marenghi is going to come up again at some point I think yeah. so there's quite a few bits which reminded me of it so yeah I would think so it does also just have like there's like okay stay with me with this one a little okay. bit but like there's one episode of Garth Marenghi where like they talk about like how they had to use so much slow mo because they were <laughs> running out of like room but i kind of got the feeling with the randomness of this film like they just kind of had scenes in there occasionally but there, yeah absolutely there was definitely occasions on this film where things happened and they don't really go anywhere not necessarily in the same way as something like the room where genuine plot threads don't lead anywhere <laughs> but there's just scenes where you don't really understand what the point is even though it's related to the central story it doesn't yeah. really add anything to what's supposed to be happening yeah Anyway, right. So we, then we move on to a scene where we we basically have the um, the sister of Joshua. I'm trying to remember her name. It's um, Holly. Holly. And she's basically sort of like working out in her room. Yeah. It's a strange start. It feels, again, like a montage, but I don't really understand what the montage is supposed to be about. She's lifting these tiny weights um, <laughs> for a while. Uh, and then we kind of cut back to her, don't we? Then- yeah. I, I quite like the way, though, she's lifting weights and her mum just pokes her head in and just looks <laughs> proud and then leaves. <laughs> that was nice. That was a really nice moment. <laughs> but basically, um, so there's a little bit more before this, but 
essentially it's all leading to this point where um holly's sort of boyfriend elliot comes in through her window and they, he's got his friends waiting outside yeah that's right at this point he comes in um and she's cross so it's hard to tell at first that he's her boyfriend. I didn't think that was the case. I thought he was just some creepy kid. It was hard to know where the scene was going. At no, point. yeah, I had no idea. And then, so she punches him in, in the crotch. And at that point, he says, are you trying to turn me into a homo? Now, explain that line to me. What, Look, what does that mean? Everyone knows <laughs> that that is how you turn someone homosexual, Jake. I see. Okay. You punch them in the balls. We're all one punch away. That's, that's the reality <laughs> of life. Um... And then she says, I like you. So that's when you realise that she's, like, in some sort of relationship with this lad. Yeah. I like you, but my family doesn't like you. You spend way too much time with your friends. And that's the crux of the antagonism between this relationship. Well, the thing I love most, right, so first of all, uh, she's punched him in the balls and he's claimed she's trying to make him into a homosexual, (laughs) which I'm not sure about the logic, but sure. Um, and then she says, you spend too much time with your friends. That's how you remain a virgin, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was, there was some wild dialogue in this section. I don't know where she'd learned all of this stuff, but so she's accused him of being a virgin. Uh, he's worried about being a homo. <laughs> all kinds of stuff going on. And yeah, they're supposed to be in some sort of relationship. So unpick all of that. I certainly couldn't. But there does seem to... The dynamic that's taken through to the rest of the movie is they are kind of in a thing, but he's always hanging out with his friends. And that's some terrible thing that he's doing that's sort of ruining their relationship. You know, God forbid she try and, you know, get along with his friends. Yeah, you know, like they make a social circle of some kind. She introduces him to her friends. You know, like a healthy relationship. Pete, this is the 90s. <laughs> Men and women do not hang out. Oh, I'm sorry. Ever. Yeah. Even in marriage. And when, they don't and, like each other. And when they do eventually get together, they drop all of their friends. That's right. Like that. No friends anymore. Yeah. That's it. No more friends. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she seems unreasonable in that scene. But later on, the dad reiterates, that guy spends too much time with his friends. Yeah. That's a whole big thing throughout this movie. <laughs> but basically, the, the end of the scene comes where... She basically invites Elliot along with her and her family on the road trip to uh, Nilbog. Yes. And he says he will be there 8am sharp. Yes, they make it very clear. That's that's laid out pretty clear in the dialogue. 8 o'clock sharp. And then we skip to her crying in the car. Yes. Because they left at 9.30 and he wasn't there. It wouldn't have been enough to just say he was late. No. It had to be... 8 and 9.30, that had to be really clear about the times involved so that you could scrutinise it and say, well, that is an unreasonable time. Very important, I think, for the viewer to have that option. Yeah. We then see, um, so Elliot and his friends in their camper van, and we find out that they are actually going, but he's doing it in a way that, you know, she really wouldn't like because he's bringing his friends with him. The one thing she said, don't do that. In fairness to her, I will say one thing here. If you've agreed to go with your girlfriend and their family on a holiday, maybe that's the point where you don't bring your friends. I would. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm agreeing with you. I think he shouldn't have done it. But I feel <laughs> like she was like tempting him. Like, whatever you do, don't bring your friends. Yeah. If, if someone does that to me, what am I going to do? It's too much fun. I'm going to bring my friends. I'll come. That'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, you're coming. Yeah. <laughs> um. But basically, we then. Um. So we've got them driving in the car. You know, back to yeah. the family. And 
There's sort of a few bits that happen during this trip. But the first one is the, the child, Joshua. He has a sort of a dream where his family basically turn into goblins and they're trying to, like, feed him, basically. Yeah, and this is the first look you get of the funniest goblin costume of the lot. Yes. You get that on the, the sister. She's wearing a face that I can't even describe, really. But it is... <laughs> so funny and it keeps popping up and it is hilarious every I, time i do like the fact that at one point there was a room full of goblins and i went there he is again and you just <laughs> need the one <laughs> that was good but my favorite part of this is where the kid sees uh who he thinks is, is his granddad yes holding up a sign that says stop them yeah and he claims he's gonna throw up so they stop the car and he runs up to the granddad and the granddad says, you know, there's going to be trouble, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, he does like a kind of premonition type thing, doesn't he? Where he talks about the danger that they're heading into. Yeah. But then they pull up and you see it's just a, a hitchhiker of some sort, <laughs> or some weird guy who presumably was just letting this child talk to him creepily uh, before the family picked the lad. I keep forgetting his name. His name's Joshua, Joshua. is it? Joshua. They pick up Joshua and he goes back to uh, the... They Continue on to their trip at that point. More to the point, he claimed he was going to throw up. Yes. He got out of the car and ran to this random person, started talking to him. The family then sat there and went, oh, look what he's doing. Yeah. They didn't react particularly quickly to the situation. They were fine with it. And then, like, what, like, five minutes later, all right, let's stop him. Yeah, with no kind of urgency as well. They just kind of pulled up and said, come on, in you get. Come on, stop talking to the hitchhiker. I really love that the hitchhiker goes, are you going to give me a lift or what? And they just kind of drive off. <laughs> I don't know what he did wrong. <laughs> Maybe he could have helped them. There's a lesson. Yeah. So they then arrive and you've got like, um, you know, Elliot and his friends, they park up in their camper van. Yeah. And we've got this, um, our like main family, um, you know, Joshua's family. Yep. You then meet the people they're kind of swapping houses with. Yeah. They're pretty damn creepy. Yes. This film doesn't do a great job of subtlety, does it? No. At no point are you thinking, I would continue this set of actions that the family is taking right now because everyone is so creepy to them and that happens straight away that you just go, this isn't right, I'm out of here. That's even like when they're like on the journey to the house, you know, they're driving through the village. They yep. get to that shop. And it looks up and they're like, oh, why is there no one around? And they drive past and basically what, like, it must be a good, what, like, 10 There's a lot of people in the window. It is, it's that kind of thing where it's the cliches, but it's done so badly. You know, there's sort of slightly creepy vibe of townsfolk who are are staring at you, but it's done in such an obvious way that, it doesn't really intimidate you as you. It's not like you're thinking, oh, God, what's going to happen? You're thinking, why wouldn't they just leave? <laughs> what are they doing continuing with this journey? <laughs> I mean, at the same time, I do have like a particular thing I want to happen once in my life. And it's a bit of a weird one. Go on. I want to go into a bar in America. <laughs> I want someone to be playing the piano and just stop. <laughs> and then everyone to turn around and then someone go, we don't like your candle in here. <laughs> I can tell you, there are bars that are a bit like that in America. I've never been told we don't like your kind. But you can certainly tell you're being stared at in some kind of backwards places. Yeah. <laughs> I also really like the uh, the part in the scene where the uh, the other kid, who's sort of like Joshua's kind of like double, yeah. throws a baseball at him. <laughs> it's really and, random. And he's just got, what is it like? It's like... 
eat before we eat you written on or something along those lines, isn't it? Yeah, and, and this is again comes into the no real subtlety. It's not like you're wondering whether there's something wrong with this town. You're quite clearly told <laughs> these people would like to eat the characters. There's no mystery here. They're going to eat them. And it's done through the weirdest thing. Why on a baseball? I don't understand <laughs> what that was. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything else in the movie. But then, like, there's not even, like, a sense of, like, you know, like... Like you say, there's no subtlety. Because then they go into the house and they've just laid out, like, a very suspicious meal on the table <laughs> that's covered in, like, green stuff. <laughs> so this is where Garth Marenghi is going to come up again. Because there's an episode of Garth Marenghi where there's some water poisoning everyone. And the water is bright green the entire time and none of the characters comment on this. And throughout Troll 2, all of the food is covered in green goo. And at no point do any of the characters go, that doesn't look right, or that's disgusting. They're there eating the green goo quite happily. I don't understand how that's not acknowledged in any circumstance. I, just, I love the fact that the food doesn't even look appetising. It's just, it is literally just weird looking drinks and bread and quite plain cakes. Yes. Things like that. It's, just, it's like what whatever they could get easiest from the bakery, some the, bread. The cakes literally look like the kind you buy with the purpose of doing up yourself. Yeah, yeah, you decorate them, which is probably why they bought them, so they could stick a bunch of green goo on it. But <laughs> the, So we get to the point in the scene where they had this spread laid out. Joshua sees his grandpa at the window yeah. and has a quite long conversation with his grandpa while they're kind of all getting ready to eat. They're licking their lips and they're getting their plates ready. They're taking very long <laughs> to eat some food. And then the grandpa stops time. He does. And uh, my, my, are these people good at freezing on the spot? <laughs> oh, they were great. <laughs> I I think like, also my favourite one is Dad, who's just clearly breathing into his drink. <laughs> he is. You can see the drink like wobbling off his breath. It's so badly done. Um, and then... Then the kid comes up with a genius solution, doesn't he? Would you like to explain the solution? I don't really want to because it's kind of gross. It is, it is gross. Um, but Luckily, they, we don't see it. I'm re I don't think this film would be legal if we did. Um, yeah. But basically, he, he's so that it's all frozen and he knows he's got about 30 seconds to, to come up with a plan. So rather than say, like, just going over and like swiping it all on the floor, which. Which is what I would have done. I'd have done as well. Yeah. He gets up on a chair. And well, he just pees on everything. <laughs> he says something like, oh, God, I got to do it. And then he, <laughs> presumably, because there's a cut uh, where they're scooping stuff. It, well, he kind of reaches for his trousers, yeah, doesn't yeah. he? So that's how you know he's peed on everything. Um, and then you cut to them scooping their plates into the bin. But how does the, so hang on, is he peeing, like, just indiscriminately across the table, just pissing everywhere? <laughs> that's what I was so, assumption of. But at the same time, like, Oh no, I'm going to trip. <laughs> Everything on the floor. There we go. Same that would work, done. right? But yeah. then you don't have to pee everywhere. So it's a very odd scene. But it does lead to um, one of the more famous scenes in this film, believe it or not. Which okay. is where the dad throws him over his shoulder and yeah. takes him to his room saying, look at these names on the, the doors. This is hospitality. <laughs> this is hospitality. And then the best line ever. You do not piss on hospitality. <laughs> uh, that's quite the quote, isn't it, to be remembered for. And then, was it like, the mum said, like, don't hit him. Yeah. So he just sort of, like, gets his belt. 
Yeah. And then does it up a notch and goes, that way I won't starve, which makes no sense. Yeah, he does this like fake out, doesn't he? Where he like he's getting ready to get his belt off and you think he's going to like hit the kid with it. And he's like, I'm tightening my belt a notch. And then he does this big speech on hunger and like, I was hungry before and I could be hungry again. Let's see how long I last. And it's really odd. I don't really know what he's doing. <laughs> I just want... What I was getting from this was he was tightening his belt, his, his belt, so that he felt less hungry. But that's not how hunger works. No, he's doing. Otherwise, everyone would do that. Yeah, they just, just squeeze their stomachs when yeah. hungry. Imagine that you're at work and you're at your desk, you don't have food. Okay, better what? tighten my belt. <laughs> it was very odd. It was an extremely strange part of the movie, um, and uh, already you can see the problem in the sense that the issue of the food is really obvious, even to the people within the movie mm. you would think but at no point does anyone acknowledge it but again go back to like the the beginning where we said if this film had been done in a way where it was deliberately looking a bit fake yes weirdly could have worked like as I agree for the for the like you know the the viewer yeah there's something there but it wasn't done that way no no it all of this unsettling weirdness it does have the potential to be good horror material, I think. But like you say, it's it, just not quite right. Is it's it? just held back by everything. Yeah, yeah. Literally everything. I, it's not committed to a single course of action yeah. in terms of that weirdness. But then, so we move on and we go back to um, Elliot and his friends in the van. They're watching sort of a bad horror film. Where one of his friends, who's named Arnold, leaves the, the sort of like the motorhome type thing. And he sort of sees a woman who's kind of covered in sort of green goo running through the woods. Yeah. What do you tend to do when you see a, a woman who's clearly terrified running through the woods? Uh, a woman terrified running through the woods? What I would probably do is chase after her, dive at her so that she falls onto the ground, and then say, who are you? Because I'm thinking this is a lady... That I could sleep with. Yeah, well, so, yeah, exactly. You know, that's what that would be my approach. Yeah, but I don't know. What does he do? You tell me. Well, what he does, right, is he he chases her through the woods, right, and he dives on her because he clearly wants to sleep with her. Yeah, oh, yeah, player, lovely, yeah, 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 cool, very relatable, <laughs> yeah, very relatable. It's very odd. So I don't know what. Basically, I think one of the things that perhaps we haven't mentioned is that Elliot has brought all of his friends along on the premise that they're going to meet single unattached yes. ladies and so he goes out of the van because he wants to meet a lady he sees a lady and i don't know if this is like some terrible primal instincts he's got but he just runs after her like he just he just chases yeah. her down that's his first instinct it's a well-known fact right that lots of women hang out in the forest oh that's yeah just known. that's where you find them yeah you find them in the forest <laughs> Where do you meet your ladies? <laughs> oh, the forests, the woods, uh, the sea. Those are my places of interest, but yeah. I think he is one of my favourite actors in this, Arnold, if I'm honest. In the sense that he is probably one of the worst. He's yes. so bad. He's oh. so unexpressive. Because <laughs> what, like, he's, he's knocked her down, and then yeah. some goblins turn up. And they're just yes. there. Yeah. He doesn't react to that at all he reacts that like he's seen maybe like a tree that looks a bit funny he's got no interest in the goblins and he kind of deals with it like uh, an inconvenience yeah and then they throw a spear at him which 
does that brilliant. He does that. He does that brilliant screen. But I love it. I don't know why bad movies do this, where when a weapon gets thrown, there has to be two shots of it up in the air, and then it lands on the character. Where the arc that it shows off makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Why not just show them throwing the thing and then it hits the guy? I don't understand that. I also I know like when a spear like hits you. Yeah. In real life, it doesn't make any sound. <laughs> but also, there's just a weird thing with bad films where, like, I don't know why it not making any sound just is so funny. It just lands, yeah. and then it's... It's because it's such, a, such an impactful moment, or at least it's supposed to be, I think, and then you just have this thing land with no sort of a, a impression whatsoever. Yeah. It's about that they're not even, like, moving with it. Like, they just stand there. It's not like they don't move back with the impact. Well, that's true as well. Yeah, he just screams, doesn't he? He sort of stands there, he lands in his chest, he goes, Oh, so what happens next, son? I think at that point we get to the the next scene where he kind of stumbles into this weird church. Yeah. I think it's a church. It's hard to tell, but it's kind of this lady's uh, hideout. I I can confirm in real life it is a church. Okay, in real life, it's, it looks like a church. Yeah, it's not yeah. supposed to necessarily be in this film. It's supposed to be a house. So, okay. of course, when you're trying to find a house, you just go for a church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> sim- simple. I suppose when you're doing demonic things, it's a natural place to hang out. Yeah. But at that point, she, he and this girl stumble in. And this lady, I think, I know her name. I wrote it down, but it's something that begins with C. <laughs> Do you remember her name? <laughs> I also wrote it down, believe it or not, and I can't remember. <laughs> Let's find it's out. some sort of quite classy name. Um, Credence, Credence is the name. Credence. Um, yeah, you can see it here where I've I've crossed it out and then I've spelt it incorrectly oh, yes. again. <laughs> so Credence, um, the actress that plays Credence is doing one hell of a job with her face. Uh, every second or so is a new facial expression. She's basically the complete opposite of Arnold. Yes. Yeah, they put them in maybe to contrast styles, <laughs> some beautiful art. She's very much overacting. It's incredible. It's just like every sort of new word needs an expression to go with it. It's, it's really impressive in a way, even though it looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> And she does all of this kind of, I am going to do blah, blah, blah. And she's got that kind of, you know, really over-the-top hammy thing going. At that point, I'm not really sure what happens. I think she feeds. No, she gives them broth, doesn't she? She gives them the most suspicious-looking broth <laughs> I've ever seen. That's literally smoking. <laughs> Which, again, I would probably avoid drinking in that circumstance. But this girl, who is with Arnold, decides, I'm going to have a little try. Yeah. Why not? And then... She starts stumbling around. She's gagging and stuff. And Arnold's like, oh, what have you done to her? And she goes, don't worry about that. Drink up like he would. Like he would just go, yeah, all right, yeah. and drink it. Given this film, though, I wouldn't be surprised. No, that's true. Yeah, no one's making great decisions at this point. I just, the mental gymnastics of this scene, though. Like, <laughs> so they've, what, they've, they've gone into someone else's house. That person said, you've come into my house. At that point, you'd probably go, sorry. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Especially if they're being creepy about it. But then she's acted really weird and eccentrically. Yeah. And clearly has sinister, like sinister purposes. Yes. And then she feeds them what is quite clearly like broth from a cauldron. And they're just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> they must have never read any witch story or anything like that. They never knew that was a thing. But 
it's the next bit where uh, the lady is is dying. I guess she. Oh, she's not dying. Is she turning into vegetable? She's turning into vegetable. That the goblins. You've got to get that anti-vegetarian message. Horrible vegetables that they (laughs) turn into. But she's like crawling up the stairs. Hey, I don't really know why she's crawling (laughs) up the stairs. I don't know what what kind of instinct that is. But B, the shots are so long and so awkward. It just focuses on her from that fixed position of where Arnold is presumably supposed to be, just kind of like slowly crawling up the stairs. You can barely see her at half the points where she's doing this. And she's just kind of going, ah, 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 and the characters aren't really doing anything about it until the goblins turn up and then Arnold delivers the famous line. I'm it's guessing... Her. Yeah, exactly. We know the line. It's... it's it's beautiful. It's perfect. Oh my god! <laughs> I really just wanted to hear you do it. To be honest, <laughs> they're reading her, and now they're going to eat me. Oh my god! <laughs> and I mean, if you know anything about this movie, you probably know that line. It's it's fantastic, and it just encapsulates the kind of weirdness, the the acting, the writing. I mean, no, who says that? Who says that in that situation? Look, how are we supposed to know if he doesn't say Jake? <laughs> but the ironic thing is, they don't eat him. They don't. That doesn't tree. happen, does it? They turn him into a tree. <laughs> he turns into a tree. I don't really know why that's what happens. It's because he doesn't drink the broth. So, right? uh, a little uh, background information. Okay, let's have that. Yeah. Right. So you know he's done up as a tree, and he's in a pl- in the pot. Yes. Yeah. His shoes were actually nailed to the bottom of that, up the bottom of that pot. Right, and he had to stand there in makeup for fourteen hours. Oh my god! And do you know why he's got a thing in his face? Why? Because he was complaining. <laughs> oh my god, that's terrible. I know Stanley Kubrick did some bad stuff, but my god, that's yeah. bad. No, they, there's like an interview with the director, and he's just he's just talking about like, yes, he kept complaining, so I has put it in his mouth. <laughs> What they kind of wrote that into the scripts is like, yeah. oh, you don't need your mouth anymore. And then you just get the directly go. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, the poor guy, because to be fair, I was like, oh, it did quite a good job of not like shifting around, but I guess he was nailed to the floor. Yeah. So never mind. <laughs> Fourteen hours. <laughs> That's that's like a torture method, I think. <laughs> Legitimately, yeah. That's so bad. Like, yeah, like you say, like was it like um, was it Stanley Kubrick? He was, yeah, he was yeah. horrible to like, the face. Yeah. He did uh, Clockwork Orange, didn't he? he did, uh, yeah, he did the Clockwork Orange and he did The Shining. Yeah. And The Shining was the one where he was horrible to Shelley Duvall. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, he was awful to her. And that's why she has that haggard look throughout the movies because Stanley Kubrick is mentally abusing yeah at time. I know the one with Clockwork Orange is like two bits there's one where like he's getting like the main character's getting beaten up by police and they legitimately work oh yeah punches yeah. and the other ones where they, they've got his eyes open and they have actually accident I don't know if it was that I'm guessing it was I think it was accident but they actually scratched his eye Ooh, and oh, that's no. like why like when he's screaming it's literally Oof. Yeah. yeah really good films brilliant mm. brilliant movies <laughs> ethically <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Um, oh, it is such a good. It's like actually one of the few films. I've actually both The Shining and Clockwork Orange. Yeah, two of the fil- two two of the the films that I think are on the same level or better than the actual source material. Yeah, I've read The Shining. I haven't read The Clockwork Orange, but I I prefer the movie version of The Shining to the book. Yeah, I do like the book version, but the movie version is better. Clockwork Orange. The book takes a while to get used to because it's really like a slang language. Yeah, yeah. 
the, the first chapter of it, you're reading it and you get parts of it and all you know is you don't like what you're reading. Mm. And then slowly you start to understand what they're saying. But I think I think Clockwork Orange, they're both equally good. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes sense. I, I really like that movie as well. Um, and uh, yeah, you kind of put up with a certain level of... of I, saw, I mean, it is basically abuse towards the actors. I know it's of the time to an extent, but Troll 2 was not worth that level of abuse. I will, it, maybe it was worth it for The Shining, but not this movie. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I'd never thought of it like that. Yeah, this is not a masterpiece. <laughs> it's a different kind of masterpiece. I mean, people got a lot of enjoyment out of it, so maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I feel we should probably move on Let's to the next scene. Okay. So we now arrive at a scene where we've basically got the um, the, the daughter... Holly. <laughs> Holly, thank you. Um, he's sort of like, I don't know why, but she's like, well, actually, I do know why, but I'm going to say I don't know why for the sake of this. Uh, she's like dancing around in the mirror and acting very strangely. Yes. And then she says, it's either your friends, Elliot, or me. And she's sort of like building herself up to talk to him the next day. Yeah, yeah. It's It's all very weird around her as a character, the way that they kind of do these little cut montages yeah. so they had that one earlier on with her doing the weightlifting and now they've got one of her dancing which it doesn't really fit with the rest of the movie it's such a strange aspect of her and no one else but do you know one of the the fun parts about that okay weirdly this comes around a bit earlier on where they talk about like I think it's like they, they talk about like with Elliot they talk about like making him infertile or something like that they talk about like you know, when he gets kicked in the ball. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, uh, the cast throughout the filming were talking about how teenagers and children don't act this way. And the director just outright going, yes, they do. Right. <laughs> and the reason she's dancing around like that in her room is because that's just what he thought teenagers did. I see. Okay, right. Again, it does explain a lot because none of the children's dialogue in this is what you would expect a, ch- a child to say. No. It's all written like everyone else in the movie there isn't really any distinction between what the children are saying and what the adults are saying the only difference is joshua has a bunch of child stuff around (laughs) and the girl holly dances that's how you know they're children otherwise they are interchangeable with the parents yeah so ultimately we get holly saying that it's either me or the or your friends which is it, I mean, I don't like doing the whole red flag thing, but that's a red flag. I would say so, yeah, I would agree. So the scene basically leads to um, the, the, you know, like her seeing the granddad in the mirror. Yes. And she's obviously pretty freaked out by that, as I think is probably the most logical thing the film does. Like, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. She's reacting as you would expect someone to react to an, uh, a dead relative's face in the mirror, which is good, but... There's a next bit, isn't there, where the family comes out, they hear her screaming. She doesn't exactly run away. She kind of, like, lollops away <laughs> yeah, towards the, the parents' bedroom. And then it was at that point I noticed when all of the family were out and they were kind of discussing this, that you just have to watch the actors who are involved in the conversation <laughs> at that point to enjoy this movie more because everyone's kind of waiting for their line and they're not doing any acting until they get to their line. They just sort of stare awkwardly in the distance often. Well, I think that you, you, you mentioned it a few times like while we were watching it. But like you were saying, 
everyone not talking is acting very strangely. And you can yes. always tell they're not, they're trying just to look anywhere but the camera. Yeah. Except for the ones that are just looking yeah. into the camera. <laughs> there is at least two occasions like this is where characters are just looking straight into the camera, which is, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the time, a lot of the kind of dialogue scenes are they cut to the character who's talking and then they cut to the next character who's talking and they cut to the next character who's talking because when they have those group scenes where there's four characters and they're just focusing on the whole scene it's no one seems to know what they're supposed to be doing when they're not talking they're just kind of staring in this weird alien way i think i i do quite like the the scenes with the the dad as well yeah just because, have you noticed he seems to be trying sort of harder than the other characters? In terms of his acting? Yeah. <laughs> he just can't act. No, he can't. It's, it's a bit tragic for him. It's, it's very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just wonder how much of this is down to direction. Because I don't think he or the mum probably knew anything about what they were supposed to be doing. He wasn't actually an actor. Oh, really? Um, he was actually, and still is, he's a dentist. Okay, why is he in this then? What did he do to? Um, when he will this film, the filming for this took about three weeks. Yeah, and whilst that was going on, he was literally doing a day like as a dentist coming to film, going off doing a day as a dentist coming to film. That's how it's like. Oh, my words. So, really, he has to be applauded for showing up and and putting a performance in because I don't think Tom Cruise has ever done dentistry. <laughs> I mean, he's a pretty good actor, but, you know, I feel like that would hamper him slightly. Yeah, yeah. He's a very successful dentist, which is very nice to see. That's good. I'm pleased for him. I don't think he's got much of a career in acting. No. Well, and the, the other thing we were saying as well, and, and this kind of tied into when you were looking at your intro. Yeah. What do we really know about the father and the mother? Yeah. Well, because that was the thing you said, um, you, you know, because I read the intro to Jake before. Yeah. Uh, before, like, you know, we did the episode. And he said, you need to talk more about the family in the middle. Yeah. And then we just we just sat there for a while going, we don't know anything about that. Yeah. We don't <laughs> learn what he does, what his job is. Uh, we don't learn anything about him as a person. There's no clues. The only clue we get is in, in the next scene, which I'll jump ahead slightly yeah. to, when he's reading the vegetable cookbook. <laughs> That's the, that's the only bit of personality that's thrown in there. I, the thing I love about that scene, well, first of all, right, so they go to walk into the store and it says, we'll, we'll open moments after the sermon. So there's just like a rocking chair there. Yes. Yeah. And he just starts reading a cookbook. <laughs> I don't know whether it was there. We couldn't tell if it was already on the chair or if he'd brought it with him in case he needed some light reading. But the thing I love most is like, what? So he's reading it for two seconds. Yeah. The kid goes to the window in the car and sees Nilbog backwards. Oh, oh yeah. God, it's goblins. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, Nilbog is goblins backwards for, for reference. I will say it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to realise that. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the fact that he looks back at the dad. Bear in mind, it's been, what, like less than a minute. Yes. And he's fast asleep. Yeah, it, all of that was completely insane. He <laughs> He's there with the vegetable cookbook asleep outside a, a grocery store. And that's not the weirdest thing that's going on in this scene. <laughs> Come on, carry on. Well, at that point, then Joshua goes to what doesn't really look like a church, funnily enough. It looks, yeah, weirdly the person's house looked more like a church. Yes, because it, it was a church. <laughs> so he spots some kind of sermon going on. 
uh, and at that point he sort of sneaks in, goes up to an attic, leaves his skateboard by a slope, which might come in important later. <laughs> so they focused on that, just in case, you never know. Uh, and then he kind of spies on this sermon going on. And this is where we learn a little bit more about the goblins and their unease with humans. Their hatred for yes. meat eaters. Yes. That's where they kind of, he's there going and they eat chicken and they're all going, Ugh. and they they put it in their bellies. Ugh. You know, it's all the weird stuff about what humans are doing eating meat. I just want to go back briefly. Go for it. Just because this only just occurred to me. Yes. So, strange woman with strange eyes. What's her name? Do you mean the mother? No. Oh, no. Oh, uh, Credence. Credence, yeah. Because she has strange eyes too. She does, yeah. But, like, why did they not just make this building Credence's house? It's creepy, it's not church-like, and it does look like a barn of some kind. It's a very good point. And then have the church as the yeah. actual church. That's a really good point. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's literally just a cut of it. Is it just because they couldn't think of a way to have an attic in the church and what was really important for that scene is for a skateboard to fall on I feel into the like church camera trickery i'm could just have him in a attic like area like you could easily you're expecting a level of competence <laughs> far beyond the of the filmmakers i think fair enough but yes i, I do agree feel like in terms of difficulty, that would be maybe a two out of ten. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but no, it's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought of that. Why Why did they swap the sets? Was it a mistake? I don't know. <laughs> it was just like, well, they had the church. They go to the church, there's just a bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really weird as well. That's why I was confused at first. I was like, it's a church. Oh, wait, it's not a church. There's a bed in it. And now there's a creepy lady. <laughs> then later on, they have a scene in the church, which is in a barn. <laughs> <laughs> they were getting very confused, I think. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so he's up in the attic. He's yep. watching them. They, they do this. Figured out that they don't like meat. Yes. And this is where he slowly moves like the board so he can see more, which his skateboard is kind of like on the other side. Yeah, I don't really understand that, but but I'll I'll give that one to yeah. him. I mean, fair enough. That's yeah. fine. The I've seen worse things. And... Yeah, yeah. Somehow the skateboard falls into like the church. Uh, and they all look at it like, <gasps> and then you see <laughs> the kids, and you're already laughing because it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, a hand just juts out of the uh, hole that the kids looking down into, and grabs him on the face. And you maybe see it for like a tenth of a second before it cuts to a new scene. The thing I love, right? Scene cuts, fair enough, they can be quite effective. <laughs> yeah, but they're just done so suddenly. <laughs> If there's no like um there's no consistency with the pacing on this movie because some stuff is done really slowly, like the girl that Arnold was with dying takes mm. forever. And then like I said, that kid getting grabbed, that was like maybe half a second of yeah. like and then that's it, it's over. And you're you're in another completely different scene at that point. But the thing I love, right? Okay, so fair enough. Other films do scene cuts and they do them well. Yes. But generally, they thought about, like, the music. They thought about, yeah. like, the tension growing. They thought about, like, the next scene and how maybe it can link a little bit to the other one in some capacity. Yeah. This one, it's just, like, the music will just stop and then it will just be calming music. Yes. Something like that. It, like, has nothing at all. Absolutely. And there's a bit later on in the movie where you've got two scores going on separately 
with a scene that's kind of interspliced between the two. And it's, it's very awkward and very jarring to watch, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is going to, I reckon, uh, there's a good chance 0% of my audience will get this because okay. they may have never seen the show. But Mike Tyson Mistress. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it's kind of, for those who don't know, which is probably most people, yeah. it's a series that does legitimately star Mike Tyson in a kind of Scooby-Doo-esque kind of thing as he goes around solving mysteries. It is brilliant. It's quite funny. Um, but, like, there's a particular episode where at the end of the episode, the world ends. Like, a nuclear bomb goes off and destroys the world, and then the next episode doesn't mention it at all, <laughs> and he's showing people around houses as a real estate <laughs> person. It kind of reminds me of that. If I'm yes, honest. it's got the same kind of grip on the world that it's created. Stuff happens, and it doesn't necessarily have an impact on what happens no. next. I won't go too far into the next stuff that happens, but there is a scene later on, towards the end, that I don't really understand what that had to do with anything. I don't actually know which one you're talking about. That's because it could be okay. many, many things. Yeah, maybe there's more than one, to be fair. But I do, Phil. We should move on to the next. Let's move on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay. I should probably just say for people who may have spotted this, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of these scenes we're talking about aren't necessarily in the <laughs> exact order, but honestly, it's because the order of the film in general is quite random. Yeah, we mentioned this, didn't we, when we were looking at the movie? You could pretty much put most of these scenes in completely different orders, and it doesn't make that much of a difference, I don't think. No. Um, but we're going to talk about a scene where you've got uh, one of Elliot's friends, Drew, and he's basically jogging to the shop. Yeah, which is funny because he's jogging to the shop and then a cop pulls up and offers him a lift and yeah. he accepts it. Now, if I'm on a jog, I'm probably not going to accept a lift because <laughs> I'm jogging. So I don't understand why he accepts it, but that's fine. He goes and is taken to the general store. Yeah. Do you know one of the things I quite like, though, right? So, Drew, we can agree, he doesn't have, like, the biggest part in this film. No, right? no. There was a part, the point, and I don't know exactly when it was. I will stress that now, but he's talked about it in interviews, I, I, you know. Well, basically, he was wearing a yellow shirt, like a yellow T-shirt. Yes. And then the production company lost it. <laughs> oh. So they told him, bear in mind, like, they, they said to him, Go to the shop and buy another one. <laughs> so what, is there any yellow shirt he can find? Yeah, so they sent the actor to the, the store to buy another <laughs> yellow shirt. 
And he just got one, and it's clearly a different yellow shirt. Well, I have to say, I didn't notice that, so it fooled me. I didn't either, but the thing that like he was surprised about during filming, he was like, is this my job? Yeah, no, I would be a bit annoyed about that. It's not my fault that the costume hasn't bought spares. But did he lose it? No, he they, lo- they he lost, lost it. it. So that, yeah, absolutely, that's not his fault. <laughs> I'd be livid. But yeah, so he gets into the car with the policeman, which... yeah automatically gives him the most gross-looking sandwich. Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? He gives him... So this is where, again, we get that green goop. Yeah. He gives him a bun, leaking green goop. And I I would at least say, oh, what's this? What's in this? Is this some sort of new vegetable? I don't understand why these guys are so accepting of any new food. I think, yeah, if this was me, he's always said he's a little bit hungry. He's been yeah. given this gross-looking food. I think I'd just go, I don't want to take your food or something like that. Yeah. You know, I'd find a, a, a reasonable excuse for not eating it. Yes, especially, I'm just about to go to the store as well. Yeah. I can handle another 15 minutes not eating this green goop bun, which, as I say, I just don't understand. But, again, going back to the Garth Marenghi thing... It's quite entertaining how blatantly obvious the kind of suspect of this poisoning is when the characters do nothing to acknowledge it. It is funny. But then, well, obviously he arrives at the store and, you know, it's a perfectly normal, pleasant looking store, which just happens to be surrounded by... (laughs) Around 10 people. Yeah, who are just staring sinisterly at him. Yes. Although the the effectiveness of the sinister stare is different for each actor. Some of them are quite good at it. Some of them just look vaguely disappointed with him. And the thing I love about all of these scenes is just one person just staring off into the distance. Yeah. In a real direction. <laughs> the way. Yeah. Again, such an easy thing for a director to yeah. do. Look here, you know, and click or whatever. But I guess they didn't have the capability to do that. But, right. Okay. So he sort of said at the beginning, he was going off to the the store to get food and supplies. Yes. What does he leave with? Uh, Do you remember? I don't remember. No, I don't. So he goes into the store. Yes. They're only selling one thing. Yes. Sorry. Of course. I do remember. Uh, he leaves with goblin milk. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Dilbog milk. Dilbog milk. <laughs> I'm giving the ending away. Which just happens, <laughs> um, which just happens to be like the the goopiest off milk you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, it's disgusting. But he doesn't leave with anything else, and he's given the milk for free, I think, by the storekeeper. Yeah. Um. So he's given the milk for free, and he just decides that's great. I've got what I need. Uh, he's just done. I mean, to be fair, the storekeeper is being creepy, and I think he does pick up on it. Which yeah. I think it's why he backs out. Mm. But I would have just not taken the milk. Yeah, yeah. I would have gone, no. The storekeeper's an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, I think I said during... Well, yeah, you yeah. mentioned the storekeeper, and this is fascinating. Yeah, this is actually really interesting. So he was actually going through some pretty sort of dark times when he filmed this film. He was actually in an asylum. Yeah. And um, the one thing he said in interviews is he wasn't acting in this film. Right. He was just disturbed when he was doing this. Well, do you know what? The reason I was thinking about that as well is because if you see him in that scene where they're doing the sermon, Mm. he does seem to be fidgeting a lot. Yeah. And I can imagine if you're someone who is struggling with your kind of psychosis and stuff, being in that situation where some creepy, weird sermon is going on is probably not the best thing for your head at that point. No. Um, his big thing, right, is he was in, like, an asylum place. They, yeah. they said to him, 
if he gets the part, he won't have to pay for anything in terms of like travel and that. Oh. So he went over, he got the part, and so well, initially someone else got the part, but then they dropped out, and then he got the part. Right. Okay. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of why he did it. It's it's very morally iffy. I think yeah. there's a duty of care to people who are, are, are mentally struggling. Yeah, yeah. And that definitely, definitely feels like a line was crossed. On the upside, um, you do see him later on. He he tends to actually go to a lot of like the sort of conventions and things. Yeah. And he's talked about the moment where he came out of the curtains once because he he went and he went to one of these conventions as a, as like a fan and just sat in the audience. Right. People recognised him. Yeah. And you know they wanted to ask questions and apparently it meant like the world to him. That's really sweet. That's so, really nice. Yeah. He went up on stage and he he sort of said about how he came out sort of like doing sort of like a cheering yeah. sort of emotion and the fact that people were like really excited to see him apparently it meant the world to him oh that's quite lovely actually. so yeah. I do think there is actually like a happy ending that's there. good no I'm pleased for him I still think like it's irresponsible of a studio to take someone with that kind of it's, yeah. state but yeah no I, nice. I, I do agree it's uh, I, I can't think of the right word it's kind of not manipulative I wouldn't say that's the right word but coercive maybe coercive yeah, yeah. I don't know something not quite right about you, it you know they weren't they didn't have his best interests at heart yeah yeah that said, he's not bad. He's uh, probably I, one of the best actors. An actor within this, he's not bad at all. Um, he is very creepy, and he, I, I, but you get a sense that there's a different vibe to him. He's not doing bad, creepy acting. He is a bit better at embodying that sort of weirdness. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's good. So he comes out of the, um, the store at that point. Uh, this is Drew yeah. uh, we're talking about. Drew comes out of the store. He is kind of stared at again by those people. Uh, does he drink the milk at that point? He's, no. No, he's no. Not. What happens at this point yes. is that the creepy people outside... Creepy people? The creepy, uh, creepy people. I can't speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, the creepy people outside the uh, the shop yes. tell him that his friend is waiting in the nearby church and that he can yes. cross through the, the forest to get there. Yeah, and it's only a mile away. Yeah, which... And he just kind of goes, okay... Yeah, he doesn't question it, doesn't question the motives. And why are they telling him that? Because they want to eat him. <laughs> but they can just eat him there, can't they? Probably. Okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like he, he, what, he jogs for a while through the, um, through the, uh, the forest because he's eating the sandwich in the cop car. That's it, yes. I was trying to think because I knew he was poisoned by the time he gets to the church. Mm. But I just couldn't remember why. But yes, you're right. He's eaten that sandwich already. Yeah. So he's already struggling when he He's kind of like sweating the green goo. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And then like he tries to drink the milk and it's kind of lumpy and disgusting. So he just throws it away. Yep. yep. And I will say, I kind of on some level get everything in this film. Mm. I get that like the green goo is supposed to be against vegetarians. I don't agree with that message, but sure, I get it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. The milk... I just plain don't get. No, the milk is a really strange facet of this whole thing. It's not explained where it comes from. I thought there was going to be some scene where they show the goblins producing the milk that yeah. they feed off of, but that doesn't happen. It just exists as this entity within the movie. Thing is, though, I think it's only mentioned about what twice. You get the the scene where they're in the house and they've got the the four like cans of milk, and yes. they realise it's well, they think it's off. Yep. And then you've got him drinking them from drinking it from the store. Yeah, I don't think it's mentioned. No, you're right. I don't think it is mentioned. If it is, I didn't remember it. But yeah, it's it's 
Not it doesn't go anywhere. No. As a plot thread. It's just there's some milk. It's gross and it's goblin milk. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to get from that. Moving on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like the movie did. <laughs> so he basically gets to the um he gets to the, the, the church house place of uh creepy eye woman who I can't remember the name of again. Oh Credence. Credence. Yes. Credence. Uh, one day or one day he'll go in, yeah. Um but this is where he sees uh, his friend who's basically turned into a plant. Yes, that's right, yeah. So this is where he is kind of got a... I don't know what you would even call it. It's like a mask of a branch. It's basically space. like a, a vegetable version of Bane. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good way of describing it. He's vegetable Bane. <laughs> um, and he's got trying to kind of get the attention of Drew. He's like, help me, help me. And Drew eventually realises and at this point he tries to well he pulls off the thing over his mouth and then Arnold goes drag me out idiot and there's a funny scene where he's sort of trying to drag Arnold out of the thing and at this point you turn to me and said this is supposed to be a horror by the way (laughs) which which was wonderful because that was a, a very funny scene and if you hadn't reiterated that I would have said they did a good job of making this funny yeah yeah it was good. <laughs> the timing of it was so awkward. Yeah, and I think because now that we know he was nailed down, because he's nailed to it, he looks kind of really awkward just being dragged away. Uh, he, he really looks like he's done with this scene. <laughs> well, I don't think he comes back after that scene, does he? No, um, I think that's the last like sign of him. Because Oh, because that's the, the scene where he gets chainsawed. Yes, that's right. He gets chainsawed. That's right at the end of the scene. She comes back. What does she do to Drew? I don't remember what she does to him. Does she turn him into a leaf? What happens <laughs> is that um, she, well, well, she backhands Drew. Oh. And he lands on the bed. Okay. She then um, tells Arnold, his friend, that she has to punish him. Yes. So she gets out a chainsaw and tells him that this will just tickle. And it does. And then, yeah, she's chainsawing him and he's laughing his head off. He's having a lovely time. He didn't lie. That's quite nice. nice. And then we just see her basically, what, like, you know, like mixing a green drink to give to Drew. Yes, which presumably came off of Arnold. And we don't see Drew drink it. No, no. But the implication is that he will. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's the end of his character. Anyway. Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) We then kind of go back to the church where... The dad has finally woken up after reading the vegetable cookbook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you might need to go back a bit to understand this. <laughs> well, we're, we're having a bit of trouble here, aren't we? Because yeah. the film itself is all over the place. And you kind of pick bits up as you go, try to remember what happened. Because it's not like there's a logical thread to all of this stuff. The next thing that happens is the dad stumbles upon them trying to force-feed Joshua ice cream. <laughs> Which, you know, how, how would we have got to that point? But that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And then, a little bit later, they, um, well, the dad's obviously angry. I was thinking, at this point, when he stumbles upon them trying to force-feed Joshua ice cream, if he doesn't think something's wrong, he's an idiot. There's no possible way that some weird cult church... Force-feeding your child some creepy ice cream is anything to stick around for. 
I, I do love that because what like the, the child what like basically crying going no I don't want any I don't want any there's two people holding his arms <laughs> and his head and then the dad walks and he's just like kids with active imaginations <laughs> I think his active imagination is being held against his will being force fed some sort of dessert it's, it at that point I would have been out of there, but then I think I would have been out of there before it even started. So at this point, you just have to accept that these characters are willing to put up with everything. But I, I love the fact that just like a short time later, they go back to the house and there's just a full on party going on there. Yes. So they get to their house. Uh, I guess this is the village's attempt to make up for the misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. There's, there's kind of the preacher guy. He's sort of in charge at this yeah. point, isn't he? And he's saying, oh, there are a little misunderstanding. We thought we'd throw you a welcoming party. And the mum is so excited. She's like, they, they brought a feast of food. And of course, all the food was the have on it. Green goo. Yeah, <laughs> green goo, yeah. Who would have thought? So, and, and it's also, what's funny, I love this, is there's kind of like little messages on some of the food that's like, tuck in and you know eat this and let's get full and all that kind of stuff you know little subtle messages to make sure that the humans are gonna scoff this food all up yeah one of the parts i like that came just before the sort of party scene was where you get credence coming into the house and she's got a cake oh, yeah. with her and yeah. she goes this is a local delicacy yeah it's literally <laughs> A cake you would buy, sort of like, you know, an unmade cake you would buy in Asda or like any, you know, Walmart if you're in America. Yes. That's clearly there to have things added to it. And all yes. they've done is squirt, welcome, or, you know, <laughs> eat up in green good. The local delicacy is a plain cake. Yeah. They, they haven't come up with anything with flavours yet. So, you know, just enjoy the cake. Um, but yeah, I forgot about that scene. So she comes in. And does she describe... I think she describes the daughter as appetising. Oh, she does, you're right. And this isn't seen as a problem either. Um, <laughs> at that point, I would imagine most mothers would kick out whoever just described their preteen daughter as appetising. Well, she's yeah. a teenager, but a teenage daughter is appetising. Underage. Certainly underage, yeah. But, you know, she just she's so excited to have this lovely plain cake <laughs> that's been brought in. And then she's just like, isn't it wonderful? They're throwing us this lovely party. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's absolutely delightful. So, but they look like they're enjoying it at first, don't they? Yeah. The Joshua, he, I don't remember if he has another vision. I think he just realizes that they shouldn't be eating this time. He knows there's something wrong. He can see yes. the green goo. Yes, yeah. he's noticed at this point. There's something wrong with the green goo. <laughs> he realizes. So he's sort of screaming and saying, "Don't eat any of this." And the dad's, he's had enough of it. He says, "Get to your room. I've had enough of your nonsense." He goes upstairs. And then this is where the scene where the two kind of the sort of action and the like calm music splice together. Yeah. Because he tries to talk to the mirror to speak to his grandfather again. And then at that point, a goblin dives out of the mirror. And, I forgot about that. And yeah. starts attacking Joshua. Um, that's when the grandfather does turn up, chops off the goblin's hand mm-hmm. in another lovely scene with lots of great, great uh, props. And so the goblin pulls back and you realise it's Credence, right? Yeah. And she's had her hand chopped off. So it was actually her in goblin form. But there's a few parts in this scene that... Well, there's one part in particular that I find really funny. It's when they're on the party. Yeah. You know, afterwards. Yeah. There's no, like, table or anything for them to eat at. 
Yeah. They're just sat on very plain wooden chairs. Yeah. As everyone, you know, the family sat on plain wooden chairs as everyone kind of sings and claps around them. Basically. Yes. Yeah. So they were really excited about the party. Yeah. And then they're sat on the chairs and they look horrified. They look extremely uncomfortable. And I don't, there's no real transition no. from them going, oh, this is brilliant well, to the scaredness. One thing I will say for the mum. Yes. Is her haunting eyes are better than Oh, they are. Yeah, she has some haunting eyes. Yeah, in the right context, it could be quite good. <laughs> in this film, which is hysterical. We've forgotten to mention the uh, the completion of the Elliot cycle. Did we? Because Elliot's in this part of the movie. He's joined the family now. Oh, yes, There's a yes. scene just before... So when the dad and Joshua are driving home from the sermon, they stop where uh, Holly... Yeah, Holly is... Yeah. I mean, he, she's confronted Elliot at this point. You know, when she was dancing, this is where she's... And she delivers, honestly, an absolute belter of a right hook. <laughs> she smacks the living daylights out of Elliot. Uh, and then I guess after that, he understands. And <laughs> now he's decided he wants her over his friends. Yeah. So that's the completion of the cycle. He's now in this scene as part of the family. She basically beat him up until he understood. <laughs> yes, it's kind of, a good message, isn't it? That's how you should do it. Just beat your man until he understands. Basically, if this was the other way around, he'd be in jail. <laughs> yeah, it would be hard to sympathise. <laughs> so, yeah, I forgot to mention, so Elliot is now in this scene and he's also looking extremely awkward but along with the like, family. Why is he now just being accepted into the family? I don't know. I, well... The dad does have like a little like I don't like you conversation with him. He says something quite weird, but I can't remember what it is now. But he does sort of tell him off, but then that's it. Yeah. The, the, the conflict's over and he's now part of the family, leaving behind his one remaining friend who doesn't have a clue what's happened to his other two mates that have, have lost. But he also doesn't seem concerned. No, he doesn't seem particularly concerned. He's quite happy on his own. He kind of feels like a video game, you know, when you're picking people off and then the last one's just wandering around, just yeah. not realising. <laughs> yeah, he's very much got that vibe. So he's just hanging out on his own at this point. Um, and uh, Elliot is now going to be spending the rest of the movie with the family. Mm. Kind of reminds me, I, this is going to be a complete tangent. Sure. But I, I came up with an idea that I'm quite proud of for the next GTA game. Okay. So, you know the way, like, if you dive into people on GTA, they just kind of wander off as if they don't know each other. Genuinely one of my favourite things to yeah. do in, in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. I want the next game to have people getting married on the beach. So you can just <laughs> dive into them and then yeah. they just wander off as if they don't know each other. <laughs> that would be good. Um, I think they could make a horror movie about how you can dive onto someone on a bench and they die. <laughs> you just have to avoid benches in this horror film. Yeah, for, for people who um, who don't know, right, so if you're playing GTA offline, it only works offline, and this yeah. is GTA 5. Yeah. If you jump and then press circle on the PS4, I'm pretty sure it's circle. Yep, right? that's yeah. right, yep. Yeah. Uh, you flop, you just instantly flop and fall over. Yes. If you do that and so much tap someone on the bench... There's a weird glitch where they instantly die. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's basically what I do every time I pick up that game. Yeah. Because it's so funny. Oh. I, I don't know why I enjoy it so much. It's one of two things. I, I do that. The other one I do, they both involve the flop. The other one is I flop onto a car and try and do like a penguin slide. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's things like that. Slight absurdity that I love in, in games. And that is a great example. Well, 
I think it was actually you said a while ago, like the reason GTA is kind of better than say like Just Cause and Crackdown, things like that. Yeah. It's because it's not really supposed to be broken where those games are. Exactly, yeah. And that kind of makes it more satisfying when you do break it. (laughs) And I think because everything else about it is like a simulation of life. Yeah. And and one thing you always think is, wouldn't it be fun to just be able to flop on people in real life and then turn back time and, and pretend that never happened? Yeah. That's kind of what playing Grand Theft Auto is like. So I have the ability to do all of these silly things that would be so much fun to do in real life, but with no consequences. I'm not even trying to kill people or anything like that. I just want to flop on people. That That yeah. is my nature, I suppose. I think my two favourite things I've ever done, and I know we've been talking about GTA for a while now. I think I'm as. <laughs> um, but like, um, uh, there, there's one where I was like, I was literally in a police chase for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And then the car stopped and uh, a police, I was in a police car. Right, okay. Yes. A policeman got out of the passenger seat and then shot me in the face. <laughs> the other one is, is where, like, uh, there was, like, a helicopter that flew slow close to the ground. There was, like, a police one. Yes. So I managed to hijack it, and the policeman just put up their hands and left the helicopter. <laughs> Fantastic. It's such a good game. It's brilliant. Do you know, we put, we put it on on Saturday, actually. We'd not played it for a while, but we stuck it on yeah. and just, just messed about on it. It's brilliant. It's two hours, we're just sitting there messing yeah. around. It's great. Nothing to do with Troll 2, but it was fantastic. No, no, no. Just passing the controller between you. Yeah, that's all you need to do. Absolutely. We should probably get back to the movie. Yeah, let's get back to the film. <laughs> I said it was a tangent. <laughs> yeah, you did say that. That's true. You warned me. <laughs> okay, so we've had the sort of like um, the granddad kind of like reappear. Yeah. And he's chopped off the goblin's hand, which ends up being... Um, Credence. Credence. Spank- I was going to say Claudius. <laughs> Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and then, so the next part is basically Yoshua, yes, and the 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 sort of like the granddad's running outside with like a, a cocktail, like a you know, like a molotov, a, a molotov, yes, cocktail. yeah, yeah, which you would hand to the child. Absolutely, he, he holds the fire extinguisher. Um, I think his plan actually is to throw that molotov into the house. Did is it- that right? Well, because what ends up happening is the preacher guy grabs a Molotov cocktail off the kid. Mm. Again, bad idea yeah. to give it to the kid. And then, well, well, basically it doesn't explode in the house. Um, but I think what he was expecting the kid to do was throw it into the house. Yeah. Blow up all the goblins. I think you see, the Kilda's family had been done that as well. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> but that's, I guess, collateral damage. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, yeah, he... He gets it taken off him, and then the preacher uses some, like, goblin eyes. I don't really know what the power is. There's, there's powers that come into it sometimes. His eyes are slightly paler. That's yes. what the power is. And the granddad's going like, ah. Oh, and he says, you're going back to hell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't know why he's in hell. Which <laughs> is quite funny, actually. I love the idea that the granddad's just this terrible person. <laughs> like, you know, like he was a Nazi, the fuck one for something. <laughs> it could have been. Who knows? It's not explained. So, you know, it's not impossible. But at that point, uh, the granddad does something, which again, I didn't know this was a power he had, but he sends a lightning bolt, I think, yeah, to the Molotov cocktail and blows it up and the preacher's set on fire. And then you get the dad... Apparently, this scene, by the way, took a few attempts because to the, the director's <laughs> absolute outrage, mm-hmm. the dad just kept running outside and then laughing. Wow, yeah, that, that is outrageous. How dare he? That's such a serious scene. 
Well, apparently the thing that was going through his head the entire time was filming is he runs outside, he grabs a fire extinguisher. Yes. And then he, like, saves the goblin, well, tries to save the goblin. Yes. But apparently the one thing going through the, the dad's head the entire time was, how do I know there's a fire extinguisher there? That's an excellent point. <laughs> That's a very good point. Considering fantastic reactions, given that he doesn't know it's there, he... Well, the granddad's gone, so where's... What, was the fire extinguisher on the floor, the, the, Yeah, he just left it, like, on the floor in the barn. Maybe like, he's the, got, like, that fire extinguisher sense. It's a spidey sense. Yeah, you know, you can just tell this one. You know, like a TV, sometimes you can tell this one on. No. No? Oh, okay. Just me, then. <laughs> we found your power. That's my power. I mean, you don't got that. You could go past the house, and you hear that... I don't think you get it anymore, because I don't think modern TVs do it, but you could hear that, like, staticky like high pitch thing and that's how you knew a telly was on or uh, am i sounding mental i don't know but i know when i was younger i did have a tv cars about 14 right and i remember there was one point where i used to go skateboarding a lot yeah and then i noticed like in the house they were watching um i think it was like goldfinger or something it was a james bond film i remember that right yeah and then i told my, my brother i was like yeah I, I saw someone watching uh like james bond in the house and because i didn't have a tv i'd watched a bit longer than i probably should have sure sure and my brother just went you know you can get like arrested for watching someone else's tv <laughs> so i was really scared that the police were going to turn up i was yeah. probably about like you know like 10 at the time yeah well no he's right you know it's probably something to do with the license fee you exactly. will over and i'll go you don't have a license fee get out <laughs> I imagine, um, but yeah, gosh. So yeah, no, he he knew there was a fire extinguisher. Yeah, basically somehow he knew, and he tries to put him out. Um, and when he does put him out, he's already dead, but it's the corpse of a goblin. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, he realizes, ah, oh, who would have thought? Turns out everyone here's a goblin. I really love the fact though that then the goblins are really angry at the dad who was yeah to save the goblin while they just stood there yeah and i think even the police officer says something like you killed him which i mean he didn't he literally did the opposite none of them did yeah the the granddad who has now been sent back to hell i suppose did it <laughs> so surely they've got their retribution they're they don't need to worry about this family but they have decided now this family is the enemy but the great thing about this one is then they just stand and stare yeah and so family slowly back away. And I let them back, they go, come on. And then they all just kind of gather together and then go into the house. <laughs> yeah, so there's kind of this idea that there's some, like, immediate peril. But no one does anything. No, they just stand there and that. look at them. And then they're like, well, we have to go to the house for safety. I mean, I think if they were going to get you, they'd just get you, right? At that point. The thing is, right, with this scene, the way it's laid out, they could have legitimately backed away slowly gone into the house, gotten the keys for their car, left the house, back slowly to their car and driven off. That's a logical idea. <laughs> but I think, do you know what's a better idea? Is to have a seance. There we go. <laughs> that I think would be a smarter thing to do. So... <laughs> Guess what the next scene can have? What happens next? <laughs> so yeah, they go, well, hang on. I need to check something here. Because mm. is the next scene them having a seance? Or is the next scene uh, the other friend? The thing Does it matter? The thing we've learned about this film yes. is that the scene order means nothing. No, you are but right. I think, technically speaking, yes. it was the weirdest, weirdest uh, sex scene yeah. you've ever seen. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, I mean, it's just as jarring 
in the movie. So let's do this to the listener now. Okay. I'm taking you out of that scene. Uh, you know there's a seance coming. But guess what? We're about to have a sex scene. Yeah. Um. To sort of like give a bit of context for this. Yeah. After the woman has had her hand chopped off by the granddads. Do you remember that happening, by the way? Not really. No, me either. Um, but no, I do. But like literally just as I'm speaking, yes. I remember. Yeah. So the granddads chopped the hand off of the goblin. Yep. And then it was actually the woman's hand. Um, she's a goblin. Yeah, she's a goblin. And she becomes young. Yeah, I didn't really understand that. I, that was a bit confusing. And for a while, I wasn't sure if it was the same person. But I guess it is. She's just now young and she's sort of a bit more, you know, sexy looking. She does less eccentric looks. Yes. She doesn't do the, yeah, she doesn't do the face thing anymore. She's sort of more kind of sort of sophisticated and mm. moving smoothly. So she kind of, I don't know, like wanders towards the camper van, I guess. Again, why was she going after the person in the camper van? I don't know. There was no real reason. He's I guess she just bagged two of them at that point. He's so. literally just in a camper van doing nothing. Yeah, he's just watching TV. She she starts to appear on his TV. Yeah. And at this point, she starts acting sexy, but she's got a very weird prop <laughs> that she uses throughout the incoming sex scene, uh, which is acorn on the cob. Yeah. Which I have a problem with. I don't like sweet corn. So yeah. I could I can get into it. I, I do quite like it. Well but maybe not not me. in not in the way portrayed in the film. <laughs> but she doesn't do anything with it. She just kinda like like flicks it around at first, she's sort of rubbing about on her legs and that. He's interested and he's like, Oh, what sort of show is this? And she goes, It's not a show. Uh and she goes, Come outside. And so he goes outside and there she is. And it's a real lady. Um and then I tell you what, do you know what's brilliant about this scene? Probably my favourite thing right. is just the music. <laughs> because it's got it's like 80 synth. It's always got this kind of uh Barry White-esque smoothness to it. But it's also got a beat that turns it into kind of carnival music. It sounds more like something you'd hear at the circus if the clowns were getting a bit frisky. Um and so it doesn't really lend itself to some sort of smooth sexy scene and you know there's there's precedence for this in horror because dracula is very much a sexually charged thing isn't it yeah well you get the whole sort of like baser instinct kind yes of thing going yeah you know for him he knowing it's a bad idea perhaps but still giving into that temptation is always quite a thrilling thing to see in a horror movie but instead she just kind of sort of leaps on him with some Sweet corn in her mouth. <laughs> Gets him to take a bite. I then he well he because he says like I love popcorn. And she goes, Well we'll make popcorn. We just we need to <laughs> we just need some heat. We just need some heat. And then they're like making out but they're not really, they're just no, eating sweet corn. The thing I love is saying never kiss in a scene. No, I do mutually eat sweet corn. <laughs> Which has a sexual act, is, yeah. is, you know, one I've never tried. <laughs> but then... We'll just kiss through this sweet corn coming on the car. I mean, bearing in mind, we were just watching this whole scene about a goblin being burned to death. I don't know where this has come from. But just at the end, 
So popcorn just starts getting thrown over them. Yeah. And I don't understand what that is all about. Where does that come from? What does it have to do with anything? But again, it goes back to the cuts. Yeah. have seen what, like, a big war in a house with a goblin getting burned alive and then weird sex scene with calling the cop. <laughs> it's the pacing, man. It's so crazy. And that's what I mean when I say you don't know where this movie's going. I could not have predicted with 15 minutes to go or whatever it was that we were about to get the weirdest sex scene. But Nothing in the movie built up to that. I, I do feel it is worth skipping ahead just a little bit because it's a small scene yes. that just finishes us off. Okay. The last scene we see with him, yes. he's just absolutely submerged in, in popcorn. <laughs> but that doesn't explain. Like, is he dead? Is he become a god? It doesn't tell it's you. Not, he's just had a lovely time. He's had a lovely time. He's got loads of popcorn now. He's got like literally his mouth full of popcorn. <laughs> it's not a conclusion. It's nothing. It doesn't tell me anything. I don't know what that is. If anything, he's just the one person who this holiday went really well for. <laughs> he had a lovely time. <laughs> so, yeah, that, it has to be said, that is probably the funniest scene in the whole film. I honestly, um, the room has some weird sex. Yes, it does. Yes. I don't think any of them come close to this one, if I'm honest. I mean, it's got weird ones, but got none of them mutually eating corn of the cob and no. corn exploding around them. But I can If someone told Tommy Wiseau to involve food in a sex scene, it would look quite similar to that, I think. Yeah, but as it is, he just had a rose. Yeah, which, I mean, he really was obsessed with that rose. Uh, he really used it quite a lot. But no, I mean, that is... Yeah, I agree. That is beyond anything I've seen in any movie the only one i can think of and, and i know you like this movie is the um studio 666 yeah sex scene you didn't like that did you well, <laughs> i knew you were gonna bring that up I, I was a big fan of the movie but that scene was was pretty funny oh, i thought it was a great film yeah well it was, it was a bit boring i think i was bored for like the the first half like the horror stuff was okay but it's just kind of boring yeah, fair enough yeah i don't know i don't want to get into a fight <laughs> Anyway, so, right. So, we are probably going to skip over a few scenes, but there's so much random rubbish here that you kind of have to. Some fights. Basically, they've held the seance in their kitchen, or the the kitchen of the house, and the, the grandpa has sort of, like, appeared, and he said this is the last time they will ever see him. Yep, that's right. And the big part here is... He essentially what like gives a bag to the the child, like to Joshua. Yeah, so Joshua he basically gets them to focus in the seance, and Joshua focuses so hard he passes out, and then he appears in the church with his grandpa, and as as you say, his grandpa hands him a bag and says, "Don't look at this. Don't even look at the contents until you need it or something like that." So he's basically saying, "Use this when it's convenient for the plot, but don't look at it. You can't don't know the context." No. No, that should be a surprise. It's better yeah. for the viewer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, um, so he's got the bag. And then we find out that like, I don't get the part of the stones. No, I don't really understand either. At first, it was unclear what stone they were talking about because they kind of focus on like a gap between the stones. Yeah. Where there's some light coming out. And you think, is the stone in the gap? But no, it's the stones around it. And then they kind of offhand mention that it's to do with Stonehenge. Yeah, somehow they've just, you know, the witch has just got some of the stones from Stonehenge <laughs> in her house. Nicked them. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I guess they're hers. Um, but then they 
They touch the stones. Yes. I don't know why, because it doesn't do anything. No, but the grandfather says something about, like, you've got to use your goodness. If you're touching the stones and you've got goodness, it will get rid of... That's the only way to stop the goblins. But then we go back to what is essentially our um, anti-vegetarian manifesto. <laughs> so they corn like the goblins come in, they corner the the you know Joshua as does the witch. So yes, um, I'm going to call her Claudius because I can't. It's Credence. 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 Like Clearwater Revival. Why can I not remember that? Yeah. Um, so Credence. Sorry, I mean Claudius. <laughs> now I think. Uh, so um and the goblins basically corner the child in the corner of the room. Yes. And at this point, the grandpa's disappeared. Yes, yeah. He's gone. He's gone forever. Yes. And this is where Joshua pulls out the secret weapon from the bag. Yeah. I'm not making this up. It's a bologna sandwich. Yes. A double bologna sandwich. And when I say that, I mean like... There's a ridiculous amount of bologna. It is a stacked bologna sandwich. It's like, I'm I, not entirely sure what bologna is, to be honest. Oh, no. It feels quite American to me. I don't think I've ever had bologna. Yeah. It looks like something you probably have in thin slices. Yeah, I don't imagine you have a, a kind of thumb-sized wedge of bologna. No, I think that'd be too much. I would have thought so. So anyway, he, he has that much bologna. It really scares the goblins. It's so much. Yeah. And then he runs to the stones... Yes. And I don't know what he does. Though his family turn up at that point, I think. Okay. Yeah, this is what I mean. The ending doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so his family turn up um, and the baloney has done enough to put them up. It's, it, I, honestly, I feel completely stupid describing this this last bit. Of this. Yeah. The baloney puts the goblins off <laughs> and the family turns up and it's enough time for them to touch the stones they have all the goodness they need, I guess, to end the goblins, and they all disappear. I'm just imagining, like, imagine you went to, like, a restaurant with, like, a vegetarian, <laughs> and you had a burger, and they just start screaming. <laughs> well, that's a, that is effectively what happens with these goblins. He's not, like, threading them with it. He's not, like, waving it at them. He just starts eating it, and they all, like, recoil in horror. I guess... It's a bit like garlic and Dracula. That's a really good uh, description, actually. But at the same time, it, it, it it's hard to take... You know, you've watched this movie for an hour and a half at this point, uh, and the big spin, the big conclusion is the kid solves the problem by eating bologna. I just don't know how I'm supposed to take that as a great ending. I just love the fact that this film was made because the director's wife had a few friends that went vegetarian. <laughs> that is essentially why this film was made. I aspire to make such art out of such pettiness, I think. If if someone, like, scuffs their feet annoyingly, maybe I'll make a movie about that. I don't know. In a weird way. Yeah. This film is terrible. Yeah. But in terms of, like, a, someone who for some reason has a fixation with hating vegetarians having friends become vegetarian. This is kind of the best case scenario. We get a, a bad classic out of it. <laughs> Such hatred towards vegetarians has never resulted in anything 
that's benefited the human race. It's such as a, much. a weird group of people to dislike, though. It's a bit like disliking like asexuals or something like that. Yeah, it's like a harmless thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you, I've decided not to eat meat. If anything, it's a good thing. Yeah, like, and we're both speaking as non-vegetarians, yeah, right? Uh, Neither yeah. of us are vegetarians. Neither of us would ever feel antipathy towards someone because they're vegetarian. And neither of us would go to the extent of creating a piece of art uh, with, I guess, tens of people involved. <laughs> I don't know how many people were involved in this. Probably about that, I'd say. Yeah. And I'd go, this is all to take it out on them. They, those blooming vegetarians, they're really annoying me. But, you know, that's what's happened here. And I'm glad, I'm glad that that level of pettiness exists in the human race so that we can have this kind of nonsense exist for us and our assignment <laughs> um should we talk about the very end i think so yeah uh so at this point so they they've solved the problem um the goblins are gone they drive home happy as larry yes you know it's the end we're great everything's fine but like all great horror films there has to be a bit of a twist of course of course a very goosebumps kind of esque twist but normally that now now tell me if i'm wrong p those sort of twists should have something within the story that indicates that that twist might exist right normally so if for instance you were gonna kill off all the goblins you should probably do something within the story to suggest that maybe the goblins haven't completely gone away yeah yes. doesn't do that uh however we see a scene where Joshua and his mother are sitting on a kitchen table. Joshua's mother is eating an apple. <gasps> well, yeah, I know, I know. Bear in mind, right? Obviously, the whole problem has been... Vegetable! Eating. No, it's a fruit of fruit. Hard to remember. Some of them are confusing. <laughs> Sorry, I, as a meat eater, do not know the difference. No, you know, it's all, it's all rabbit food at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> so she eats an apple, but there's no... I mean, I don't know... Maybe I'm wrong, but there is nothing I can see that indicates that this is a problem other than just the way it's focused on. Yeah, though that's that's accurate, I'd say. Like, there's nothing... Like, she gets out a big bowl of red apples and eats one. It's like, this is delicious. You know, you should have an apple. And the kid's like, oh, I'm not hungry. And then he hears, like, I don't know, a parcel tongue in coming from the bathroom. Uh, He goes in. And it turns out his mum has become a puddle. And credits roll. Effectively. Well, you see the goblins eating eating her. Yeah, because that's right. Because it's in exactly the same costumes. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. Yeah, so they're just not gone. You still have the deranged-eyed one. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah. So, well, that's, that's the bit I don't understand about it. I, I don't mind, like, a twist ending where, oh, it turns out it hasn't really got over the problem. But... What, what what was going on in that last scene then? If that's the case, it doesn't really make any sense as to what we've already seen. No, it very much did feel like, um, yeah, I know I've said before, but it, this whole film has sort of adult version of Goosebumps feels to it. Yes. Yeah. Like, even at the end, like, you, did you ever watch, I think it was like Camp Terror or something it was called? Like, uh, um, the Goosebumps one. I think you've told me about it. I don't think I've seen it, but well, I think you've told me about it's it. It's like a two-parter. They're in, like, this this camp. Yes. And it's about, like, wolves and stuff. Mm. And then at the end, her parents come along and just go, we're going on a trip. Where? 
Earth, and they yes. point up, and it turns out they've been on a different planet all along. Yeah. Well, there's another one where, like, the, the the main character really likes comic books, and then at the end, when everything's supposedly fine, he gets his finger pricked, and ink comes out rather than <laughs> like. There's no hint to any of these. No. They're goosebumps, so it's fine. But like, it's yeah, like... It's this. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. I think this is like an adult's goosebumps. The ending is thrown in because they wanted a twist ending. Yeah. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the story, but they just went well. I, we want that so we want to have a twist ending yeah. we don't want to think of a way to write it in we're just going to do it there was actually talks of a Trolls it was going to be called Trolls 2 Part 2 brilliant so presumably it was going to uh, lead on from this but right. for some reason it never got made I can't think of any reason no. I don't understand that uh, I would have been clamoring for it I mean it's one of those things that I don't know if the directors are still alive he is yeah okay alright brilliant i could see them coming back to this but the trouble is and it's a bit like with tommy was they know what it is now don't they yeah and it's kind of ruined it that's one of the reasons that in terms of bad directors but like ones that i kind of do have a mortgage for like respect for yes ed wood's up there for me because he was a terrible director but he yes. always gave it his 100 percent and he's probably unique in the sense that well not necessarily unique but certainly in terms of the ones that you lo- you enjoy their films. He's probably unique in the sense that he is persistent and he's produced yeah. a lot of movies. But yeah, yeah, like like you say with Tommy Wilson, um, The Room, yeah. absolutely masterpiece of bad film. But he won't do anything like that. No, you can see it with well, like he did The Neighbours, where he yeah. he was bad, and it's pretty unwatchable. Yeah, and that's the trouble is is once they become self aware to the sense that they are. Uh, bad directors and they have a cult following that they want to please with bad movies mm. it, they're typecast almost in the sense that they have to do something that feeds into that the thing is, sorry, I, I honestly don't feel they are because I do feel the respectable thing to do at that point is to genuinely try and make a good yeah thing. yeah if you succeed then good on you yeah if you don't then it's another terrible masterpiece but you've got to, I think you've got to think if you are in that position you've put some earnest art out with all the self-confidence that Tommy Wusso or the director of Troll, Troll 2 mm. has to have had to produce these things then you get this reaction of ridicule and laughter it must be hard well you're always going to be second guessing yourself after that you're never going to be able to write a movie without thinking about that audience reaction and so that kind of golden thing that you struck upon by accident it's just I don't think it's possible to get back to it I, I get what you mean. Like you say, it is a case of, it is, I mean, like I can say from doing this this, this podcast, even, sure. it is hard to find that that thing that people like. Yes. And when you do find it, you try and cling onto it. But in my experience, it doesn't work because the thing that actually works is kind of varying a little bit and trying things. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why anyone who can stay at the top of their game for that long deserves a lot of respect. Whatever that lot is. Yeah, whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's making the best films possible, making cult films that people love, making intentionally bad movies, yeah, whatever you do, if you can continue to make people happy with it, then you're doing a great thing. Yeah. I just don't think so. The artists that come up with the worst movies of all time, like Troll 2, are inherently incompetent and they will never be able to do it again because 
they're then trying to do something completely different to what they were trying originally. Yeah, yeah. It's like with this film in particular, you get a lot of fans who try and like come up with sequels for it. Yeah. Well, but they're always going along that so bad it's good route, and you can't be thinking like that when you're making a so bad it's good film. No. It just doesn't work. I mean, there are occasions, like I would argue, the, the um, Sharknado films kind of achieve it. Yeah. I, yeah. They're rare. And, and it, everyone goes in with a sense of irony about it. And I'm sure it's fun. You know, I haven't actually seen a Sharknado movie. They're, I'm sure it's a lot. They are, they are fun. But, you know, it's it's kind of, there's a different appreciation you have. What I love about this movie, and I do think this is a brilliant thing to watch, what I love about this movie is dissecting the intention of the director. Yeah. It's thinking about what they were trying to do and how they fell completely short of it. And it's the same thing you can do with The Room. You can think, what did he want? That didn't happen. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I will say that's one thing that Sharknado doesn't have. Yes. There's a certain level of, like, I wouldn't say cynicism. That's not really the right word. But it's like they know they're making a bad film. Yeah. yeah. They know what they're after. And it's kind of the sincere attempt, kind of almost. Yeah, exactly. Don't get me wrong. I am laughing at these films when I'm watching them. But I do also kind of have a respect for someone who's trying something. I always have respect for someone who's trying to do something good. Yeah, I I always think that. And and I remember watching The Disaster Artist. Yeah. uh, And there's that scene in it where they watch the premiere of The Room. And Tommy Wiseau is confronted with his art. Mm. And it's being laughed at by people. He has poured his heart into a movie and it's being laughed at. And Edward has something similar, I think, as well, doesn't it? Where he... He laughed at Yeah, in like um, um, the Edward by... Um, the, yeah, the movie, sorry. The, the um, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Like, actually, like, for anyone who's, you know, not seen it, legitimately, like, not, in a, not in a kind of like an ironic way, legitimately a good film. Yes. For 1990, um, what's his name? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, yeah. Fantastic. Really. really good film, yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's it, is that you have to continue to remember that these people are human beings, and yeah. whatever they do, for us who sit here, and, you know, I'm not I'm not saying you do this, Pete, but we <laughs> criticise movies, we look at things, we laugh at them, we're there enjoying the art and criticising it, but we will never... And, and actually, I'm going to bring another film into this. Ratatouille is a great example of this. Ratatouille. Now, I'm not talking about the film itself. I'm talking about a scene within Ratatouille. Okay. Do you remember at the end, Anton Ego, the food critic? When he's eating. Yeah, he eats that bit of Ratatouille, funnily enough. And he has that kind of existential crisis. (laughs) And he writes, he does this brilliant scene about what it is to be a critic. You know, we... We as critics like to make fun of stuff. I'm not going to do it verbatim, but we like to make fun of stuff. It's fun to read. It's fun to write. But what we have to realise is the measliest piece of trash that's produced by an artist is so much more significant than anything we ever write. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And I think that's a nice way to look at Troll 2. It's awful. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. But... They have produced a piece of art that none of us will ever get the chance to do, probably. Yeah. Never know, maybe one day. But we will probably never get the chance to produce a piece of art like that. And we will never put our soul and our thoughts on the line in the way that the directors did. So fair play to them for doing that. And even though it's terrible, they've made lots and lots of people happy. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Got carried no, no, away. No, no, no. That's all good. <laughs> um, the question I ask everyone, and it's a very unfair question. <laughs> yes. What would you give this out of 10? 
it is unfair. Because, no, no, because there's two there's two scales to rate this on. One is technical proficiency, where it gets a one out of ten, and one is entertainment, where it's probably an eight or a nine out. Of 10. I normally go by the okay. I tend to do the entertainment route. Yeah. My my personal rule: if it's so bad that it's good, yes, it can only achieve a six out of ten. That's okay. the highest it okay. can achieve. Anything over that has to be good for the reason it was made. I see. Okay, that's fair enough. In that sense, then, it gets a 6 out of 10 because I had an absolute blast watching it. Yeah. It was fantastically fun. Uh, absolutely terrible. But, yeah, 6 out of 10 for me. What would you give it? Also 6 out of 10. Perfect. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last film I go 6 out of 10, I believe, was The Scorpion King 4. And was that so bad it's good? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. Yeah, no, I, I would say, if you haven't seen it, uh, and you want to it's one of those movies i would definitely suggest have a few beers oh have a few get some beers around, yeah exactly have a laugh because you don't <laughs> you, you don't need to really concentrate <laughs> much much like with the room i yes. believe they do still show this one in theater sometimes so i can definitely see the appeal i would absolutely be up for dressing as a uh, a goblin and going <laughs> to one of these films <laughs> legitimately let's do it yeah <laughs> brilliant cool well, um, I think that about wraps up the episode, to be honest. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been great having you on. Thank you for having me. I've had a really good time. And um, please join me next week, where we shall be looking at The Scorpion King 5, Book of Souls. I hope you all have a really good week, and see you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.